Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode number 75 of the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media. And we have a little history today as we welcome in the skipper of the San Francisco Giants, man I have known for an awfully long time, Gabe Kapler to the show. And man, oh, man, you win sweetest crib of anybody who's come on the show. I got to tell you, man, that's not a green screen right? behind you, right? No, just over my right shoulder is the San Francisco Bay and the Bay Bridge. I'd love to be able to show you some views. This is a really kick-ass site for sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm just really curious. I want to get to the important stuff off the top. And first of all, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Uh, by the way, you, you are making history. You are the first manager we have had on this show. That's that's quite an honor. Can I can I ask you about the 19 in the background? I'm, I'm seeing that down in the left-hand corner, but it looks like maybe a Rangers jersey. I, I can't tell. Okay, that is not a that is not, that is not a Gabe Kapler Rangers nineteen. As much as I would like to say it is, I, I didn't think it was. Don't get me. <laughs> no, no, don't don't. I I figured it wouldn't be. I'm just more curious since I do have um, you know good feelings about the number nineteen. I just wanted to hear a little story about it. So it's so prominent on your screen. You had noticed my background. I felt like you know, kind of obligated to notice yours. Yeah, so I'm very cluttered here, and I apologize. Obviously, you know, being from Cleveland, I'm a huge Guardians guy. I, we're going Guardians now. We're in November. Uh, so that is a Bob Feller, uh, something special. <laughs> That's way better. That's so much better. <laughs> you think? Good for you. Bob Feller. That's that's the way to go. I mean, come on. The guy won like 250 games, and he missed several years because of wartime. So, you know. Yeah, Absolute beast. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a fun conversation. we got a lot to get into in a short amount of time, but I want to start with really the most important stuff was how the heck did that steak cake that your players got you taste this year? Did please tell <laughs> Ploof and I, Ploof said you did not take a bite of it. I said you did. Well, I, I think there's a little bit more to, to these kind of stories. So Ploof was right. I didn't eat it, but that doesn't mean that I don't love <laughs> You know what I mean? Like deception is like one thing nonstop and it, it's, it's just not accurate. Now, now Trevor was right. I didn't eat it cause I didn't want to eat it, but um, I had, you know, that day I was like drinking some, some scotch with the boys and, you know, maybe the next day was cake, but you know, I didn't feel compelled to dive in. Uh, it seemed like it was very well received and everybody in the clubhouse liked eating it. Who do, do we know who was behind it? Because I would never have thought of a steak cake in my life. Oh, man. Um, yes, we knew who, who was behind it. I, I feel like it was some combination of Larone, our, our team dietitian, maybe Evan Longoria, who tends to be behind a lot of things and behind the scenes that, um, you know, it, it, it just doesn't come to light. But I think it was a collection of people. And it's kind of cool. They know me very well. And, um, you know, obviously felt um, like I was cared for that day. That was dope. That was pretty good, as was your season. 107 regular season wins. Uh, I have to admit to you right now, the first eight or nine weeks of the season, I was like, oh, this is such a cute story out in San Francisco. Right. All these guys are playing so well and they're building up their trade value and Farhan's going to be able to ship them off to contenders and they're going to get better prospects because they're all in the last year of their deal. And at what point did you say, my God, this is a team that could win the whole damn thing? Uh, so we actually just followed the tone that was set by the veteran players early in, in spring training. And we had heard rumblings and, and in particular, Buster mentioned it in his, uh, his retirement press conference that nobody thought it made any sense to, to like set the intention or the goal 
of trying to sneak into the playoffs like via the wild card, right? If we're going to set goals, we may as well set lofty ones. And I think everybody in our clubhouse respected and appreciated the talent that was in the room, the experience that was in the room and what had been accomplished, you know, in the past 10 years in, in San Francisco. So the, the intention that Buster and, and Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt and others set was we want to win the National League West. Um, I think the job of a major league coaching staff and the major league manager is not to set the direction, but to kind of listen to the players and, and hear where they want to go and then figure out ways to support them in, in getting there. Um, and so that's really what happened. Along the way, we just felt like we were a really good team that was coming together. Um, you know, every single month, every single month we were doing something that nobody expected us to do. And it was all because the players had that vision and, and that belief in themselves. And we were able to get behind that, that vision and belief. But please tell me, I want to romanticize this a little bit. In one of my favorite baseball movies of all time, Major League, when the owner's trying to make the team as porous as possible so she can move the team down to Florida, they all get together in that clubhouse meeting and Lou Brown, the skipper, says, well, there's only one fucking thing to do. Win the whole damn thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very practice, Chris. I've, you must have done that many, many times in many, many <laughs> interviews. Spot on. Very well done. There, there was none of that, right? Like I, you probably know me well to know that I don't, I don't believe in like the Rob Ross speeches. It's, it is a very major league, the movie and not very major league, the reality. Um, it's not to say that I haven't been around managers in the past that have delivered you know, very inspiring, you know, shorter speeches, but it's just not, not the way it goes down. And, and I, I mean it when I say this, the players should be the ones speaking up. Uh, coaches, managers, front office, be in the background and figure out ways to listen carefully and then follow, you know, kind of follow the lead of the players by uh, giving them as much support as possible. Okay, makes sense. Thank you for destroying my spirit on that, but I appreciate it because I do know you well enough. Um, yeah, you mentioned I, I, try, I try to keep it as boring as possible. <laughs> well done. So you're probably thinking to yourself, if you're like me, I have no idea what to get my friends and some of my family members. Well, Dugout Mugs has got the perfect gifts for you. And if you act now, it's like the best Black Friday deal ever, and you don't have to wait until the day after Thanksgiving to utilize it. Go to dugoutmugs.com, use the code word John Boy. You're going to get 30% off all of their best-selling products. I'm talking about big-time best-selling because there's almost 20,000 five-star reviews so if there's a baseball fan somewhere in your life family member or friend get on this now go get these things because they're made out of baseball bats you can get something cool engraved here i suggest the chris rose rotation if you want to go a different direction that's fine so you can get the original here you can get the wind up there's uh bottle openers and of course there's this the knob shot which you can drink out of or you can make really cool sound effects like this so once again, go to dugoutmugs.com, code word John Boy. You're going to get 30% off. Let's go. Make yourself happy. Make everybody around you happy, courtesy of Dugout Mugs, as we like to say, cheers. All right, you mentioned Buster Posey. When did you know he was retiring? A couple of weeks ago. Um, and one of the things that I learned in his post-game, his, post his retirement presser, was that um, Buster was way ahead of all of us. Right. I think he we always knew that there was a possibility that he was going to retire after the season. We also knew that there was the possibility 
that um, he was going to get to the end of the season and, and just want to play another one or two or three. But I think Buster really understood where he was leaning from the beginning of, of spring training. And one of the things that I found really compelling, really interesting at the end of his, his presser was he said he was kind of emptying the tank. Now, emptying the tank is, is usually reserved for uh, what a starting pitcher does when he gets into the seventh inning and he's got 90 pitches or so. He's inching towards the end of his outing. Um, and every once in a while, I'll lean over to our pitching coach, Andrew Bailey, and be like, hey, man, is he, is he emptying the tank right now? Basically, it means it's like, you know, you're running out of gas. You're giving everything you have. You know the finish line is near. You don't have much, much more to offer. And very common way to describe what's going on with the starting pitcher. Buster, I think, saw that throughout his season. It's really interesting. He played a ton of games down the stretch as, as we were hustling and chasing uh, the National League West, way more so than, than what we had scheduled for him throughout the course of this on two days on one game off type of schedule that Buster and I collabor collaborated on. But as we got down to the final 10 or, or 15 games, he and I got together. and was like, we just got to go now. Now you got to play as much as your, your body can handle. Not me to him, us together collectively agreeing on that. So what he knew at that point and what I didn't know at that point is that he might've been, you know, kind of emptying the tank, which was, which was remarkable because we needed him to do exactly that. And then we needed to, him to show up the way he did in the postseason, to play every game of, of our postseason. He did that as well. So I think he had a, a little bit more vision than anyone else, including our field staff, including his teammates, including the front office. And maybe the only person who actually knew where this was headed was Buster and maybe his wife, Kristen. But beyond that, I think, you know, two, three weeks ago was the timing. What are you going to miss most about him? Because you only had him for one year. He, he opted out the 2020 season. Yeah. Um, well, impossible to, to replace, that's for sure. It's not For me, it's not the stuff that was happening between the lines. Because sure, um, everybody's going to talk about the fact that he's, he was likely um, the best catcher in the National League, maybe the best catcher in, in Major League Baseball. It's arguable. I'm sure you can make a case for others. But that's how I felt about it, watching him play every day. Um, he was a great base runner. Uh, he was a, um, his at-bats were so disciplined and so precise um, behind the plate. You know, he was catching and throwing very well. His arm was, was lightning. His feet were electric. So all of the things that we, we all see and appreciate every day uh, were, were, were showing up daily in the 2021 season. I, I think what I'll miss is how he makes everybody feel a part of his success. It was evident um, in this, in this uh, presser where he just distributed so much credit. And uh, Dave Greshner, who's our head athletic trainer, came into my office a little bit earlier today at the ballpark. He's kind of like tearing up, you know, pretty emotional because, you know, Buster made everybody feel like they were part of his career. And Farhan um, said something that I, I thought was, was really profound is uh, Buster made Farhan feel like he was a giant. And I think every player and every staff member and every member of our front office, probably everybody that has, has uh, spent time with Buster in San Francisco has a story like that. I have it too. I, I interviewed with Buster when I, I got the job in, in San Francisco. I mean, here I am in, in this office sitting across from Buster Posey, who's going to be one of the players on, on our roster. And, and he's kind of betting me, you know, he's, he's, kind of sizing me up and, and you know we we knew about each other but didn't know each other well and I felt when I walked out of that room like Buster believed in me so you know here's the president of baseball operations here's the manager here's the head athletic trainer all feeling like Buster Posey put the wind at our backs it's the player 
it's a very, very unusual thing that that happens and um and and these are the things that we'll probably miss most about Buster. I love that story. Gabe, we we spent a lot of time on this show talking about something that I think is really important in your world. Um rebounding from failure. You had to do it as a player. You even had to go play in Japan when nobody here said, "Hey Gabe Kapler, come play with us." And then after you spent only 2 years in Philly as a young manager and you know people were throwing darts at you after that. How tough was that for you to take? Did you have to seek some advice? Was it a family member? Was it somebody where they had to rally you and get you going again? I don't think so. I, what, what stands out to me, Chris, is, um, you know, sort of the, the arc of my career. And you pointed it out very well. Um, it's a 57th round draft pick. And, and I think nobody really thought I would belonged on a, on a professional baseball roster you know, let alone ultimately getting to, to the big league. So, you know, I, I guess by the time I, I got to the Dodgers as, as the farm director and, and probably well before that, I have some pretty thick skin. You know, I, it's, it's not one of those things where I, I feel like I have to go collect feedback. I mean, I'm always, I should say, I, we are always constantly growing and developing and learning from mistakes and, and, and learning from our experiences um, but I don't think there's anything profound that that anybody said to me. The best examples in my life have always been my mother and my father. Uh, my father passed away in in December of last year. Um, he's as influential as anybody in my life. I can say the, the same thing about my mom and and mostly my mom through you know her own hardships and her own challenges and and the way that she had she was gritty and 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 tough and a fighter. So I saw that example. My brother probably falls into that category. A lot of people have asked me about baseball mentors, and I think those are important, but it's, it's really, for me, it's really my family members. My sons, Chase and Dane, uh, my older son, my younger son, uh, my older son is Chase, my younger son is Dane. They teach me so much every day. Get a lot of great feedback from them over the years, and you know they're 22 and 20 years old now, but they, they've, they've influenced me in, in any number of ways. I respect the hell out of that. I will say this, when I was let go from MLB Network, I had, I had to rely on a lot of people. I was hurt, right? And you, you didn't feel any pain when the Phillies said, yeah, it's just not working out here. Was there a day where, or two where you were like, God dang, this really hurts? Uh, what, what I felt most, um, you know, kind of looking back on that experience is just wanted so badly to finish the job. You know, you're, um, you kind of see this like, two, three, four, five year plan happening when you, when you sign on to take on a responsibility, like the one um, I took on in, in Philadelphia. And I just, just felt like it was, you know, and understandably so cut short. It's a tough, it's a tough uh, city. You don't win right away and, and, and do good things right away. It's going to be, it's going to be a major challenge. I always recognize that. I always felt that. Um, and at the end, I just felt like, man, I, I just wish we had a, a little bit more time, but you know, sometimes you say, oh, that, that stings. And then something new pops up, like for you, um, you know, MLB network ends, but you've got this cool new opportunity to cover baseball in a, in a much different way um, with an entirely different platform with an entirely new team. And, you know, people like you and, and to some degree, people like me, we want to turn the page as quickly as possible. Sure. Feel the sting of whatever it is that um, whatever it is that you're dealing with. But then, like, you know, put one foot in front of the other and go get the next opportunity, right? And 
Um, it's the most important thing we can do is not spend too much time dwelling on the thing that, that, you know, kind of punch us in the gut. It's okay. Like it's time to, time to move on and, and, and go accomplish something new. That's really good advice. I appreciate it. I love it. And I think it kind of connects nicely into where I want to take you next, which is I know your foundation does a ton of work dealing with mental health. And I think that 10 years ago, you utter the words mental health and you're going to get eye rolls and strange looks, particularly in the field we work in. Yeah, you know? no question. Um, what, what is your biggest accomplishment and your biggest challenge moving forward? I just set aside the, the biggest accomplishments. We're not there yet. We just have, we have so much work to do. Um, but I think the biggest challenge is um, removing some of that stigma so that the eye rolls aren't happening quite as much. We have a great EAP lead. Her name is uh, Shana Alexander. Um, and with in a partnership with Drew Robinson, I don't think I need to you know, set up the Drew Robinson story. It's, it's right. remarkable. And if I'll just say, if, if it's not something that you're familiar with, um, you need to go you know, check it out, not you, but others. Um, and we had players who were wearing mental health T-shirts on the field all season long in their bullpens, in their workouts. And the, the eye rolls you know, weren't happening as much. Now, we got a long way to go. What I'd say is the, the goal is to make mental health every bit as, as important as the physical health, right? You pull a hamstring or um, you know, something happens to you on the field you have a limp, you can see it, right? Like there's, there's something that's impairing you. It's limiting you. It's compromising your ability to go be good on the baseball field or whatever athletic endeavor you're involved in. But if you're depressed or your anxiety is through the roof or a family member just died, you can't see the limp. You're just expected to show up at the ballpark that day, get in the batter's box and go out and, and compete against Blake Trinan and Kenley Jansen. It's, it's, it's really strange, right? So I think the goal is to get to a place where a player can walk into the clubhouse and have the same amenities, the same modalities, or the same number of amenities and modalities and opportunities to get right for that night's game, but ultimately to, to get healthy, period, um, in real time. So we're not even close to, to getting there, but from an industry standpoint and an athletic standpoint, those are the two goals. Try to remove as much of the stigma as possible and, and give us opportunities to get better immediately. You know, we've seen it in Calvin Ridley, a wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. He's tapped out the last few weeks. He says I, he put out on Instagram, I need to work on my mental health. Um, yeah. it, it, it's happened with players in the NBA. And, you know, I do think that in baseball, we have a, we have a, we have a tougher fight. It, it's very, yeah. sometimes the wheels are slow to turn, Gabe. And I, yeah. I just hope that that more and more people embrace what what you're talking about, because I am a big believer in it. I've been in therapy ever since I was a little kid. In fact, I feel like I should go back sometime soon. And I, that's not a sign of weakness. To me, that's a sign of strength. I, I think it's a sign of toughness, right? Like um, you, you wouldn't say like, hey, I'm, I'm going to the, the trainer to get worked on. And that makes me weak. You know, like I, it makes me you know soft. Like, no, you you got to go get ready to, to to do your thing. So your thing is 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 covering baseball covering sports talking about sports well, how do you get to to your best place probably to clear your head you know be in the best emotional and, and and mental state that you can possibly be in so i absolutely think it you know that's the real toughness is because it, it really is going back to one of the points that we made earlier it's taking steps taking action steps and not kind of like being too scared to to make a move it's actually quite like 
yeah, I mean, I'm just tough is probably the best way I'd describe it. I'm curious, and I, I know we only have a few more minutes left, but you're, I mean, you're, you're covering so much good stuff here. I'm curious how a manager watches the World Series when he's not participating in it. Were you playing along at home with Brian Snitker and Dusty Baker? I watched so little of the World Series. I, I had, um, I, I had little, if any, interest. I mean, I was excited that Dusty might have gotten his ring. Right. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of people in Atlanta that that I was rooting for, just as people. You know, Alex Anthopoulos, I think, is an outstanding executive. Like Walt Weiss is the bench coach over there. I think the world of him. Ron Washington, Snit, that whole crew, awesome. Um, but I, I just didn't. You watch some highlights here and there, but I, I don't want to watch other teams play in in the postseason. You know, it's a just kind of like brings out brings out some sting. I'm a huge baseball fan, but like once you get to the postseason and and we got bounced in Game Five uh, of the division series, it was hard to watch. And I actually don't turn the page entirely until the postseason is over. You mm-hmm. start thinking about you know next year. So just wasn't able to get to that place where I wanted to turn the page and sit down and and watch postseason baseball. Okay. Respect that. Um, have you turned the page? Uh, getting there. You know, it's, it's, uh, I felt like we had a, a very successful season, a hundred, 107 wins, um, you know, National League West title, probably one of the greatest um, division races in, in baseball history. And um, just one of the coolest accomplishments of, of my life and my career just to be a part of it, to be a part of that, that group that accomplished that. Um, but also like the goal is always to win the world series. It's always to be the last team standing. So have I turned the page? Um, I think to a, a high degree we have, but we're, I think when you step foot at, at spring training, put on the uniform for the first time, you, you know, you get out on the grass and you start to, to get ready. I mean, I think that's when you really turn the page and you're ready. Fair enough. Um, I really want to know about your uh, your beard. Everybody at John Boy, whenever there's a cutaway of you in the dugout, everybody goes, is that felt? It is perfectly manicured. How the heck do you get it so that it looks like some sort of makeup and hair artist from Hollywood has done it? Because there's no way I could pull that off. Well, you should try. Well, I did. I did, actually. Um, Robbie will bring up a little picture of me. I gave it an effort. This is about the best I could do right here. But that's, that is not Gabe Kapler-esque. That's like a 6 out of 10. Yours is like an 11. Um, so I have a really good barber here in, in San Francisco. Uh, your bench coach, Kai Correa, he looks like a, a mini Kapler a little bit from a distance. Um, like if, they're, if we're like 100 yards away, it's tough to go Gabe Kai, Gabe, particularly when we got the glasses, did we get a two for one deal on those or what? He, so I, I want to give Kai all the credit in the world here. Uh, my vision has been kind of like slightly deteriorating little by little. Um, this spring training, I was trying to see the scoreboard at, in Scottsdale Stadium and uh, taking a step back, I had really good vision as a hitter, as a player. So one of the things that I actually did well is I saw the ball. But um, I was in the dugout and we're kind of looking out at the scoreboard at Scottsdale Stadium and, and it's a little bit blurry for me. Kai was wearing glasses. I say, hey, let me let me try on your, your glasses. And boom, I could see, look great. All of a sudden, like I had really good, clear vision. So um, went and, and grabbed a pair of sunglasses that were prescription and grabbed a pair of um, 
the ones that you you see on the bench, which are also prescription. And I I'm only wearing them uh, during games because it just helps me see better during the games. But yeah, it's been it's been a a, a cool. I'm I'm actually really considering getting LASIK this off season, so I don't have to think about it again. The glasses are kind of fun though. I've had a I've had a good time with them. I re- I think you got to go the other direction. I understand the LASIK talk. I think you've got to get frames that are in totally different colors, totally different colors. Go orange, you know. Go giant orange. Go black. You go kind of like the cream color occasionally. Yeah. Let's yeah, accessorize. Yeah. You're a fashionable dude. Look at you. I I, I got to tell you, like. You started off by saying, like, you know, how do I do it? How do I get the beard like that? Like, what's what's the move? And now you're trying to give me fashion advice. I kind of feel know. like no, but I'm, yeah, a little bit. Like you're like, yeah, okay, a little orange. Bit. Yeah, yeah, get the colors. Like, am I supposed to be like taking advice on from a guy that's like that? I'm wearing a freaking. Like, I'm wearing a John Boy T-shirt and gym shorts today. <laughs> okay, you look like you're about to go clubbing right now and you look great so you're right you do not uh, need to take it All i'm, I'm, I'm joking i'm just being playful i'm just kind of giving it back to you i'm with you and i think that all i'm saying is that all the people listening here on the rose rotation and at john boy media they would be like he did it he listened to rose and he's got all the multicolored frames he's on board yeah. with the- I, I'll, I'll tell you what if you take the responsibility of getting the frames mm-hmm like kind of maybe in the same style, I actually give you, when we, we get offline, I'll give you the brand of the sunglasses and you don't make me work for it. I'll wear them. So but like, you can't really ask me to go do the work. No, you're right. That's not fair. Yeah. That's totally unfair. Yeah. Absolutely. I wouldn't I mean, trying, trying to be a good sport and play along, but you're asking me to do work. <laughs> Two more things. We'll get you out of here. Was it awesome playing in Japan? Um, it was really interesting, but I sucked. It was really bad. It was like the worst baseball that I've, I've played in my life. So 2004 um, in Boston, win the World Series, um, have a contract offer on the table from the Red Sox, had visions of, and but it was as a role player, like fourth outfielder, platoon option with Trot Nixon. Um, and then I had a chance to um, go play in Japan, but play every day. So I was thinking about how can I parlay an experience like that and then come back and play here in the United States. And as a result, I, I played really poorly. I just, I wasn't very good. So um, I, I came back and I played in Boston in, in 2005 and people ask me all the time, like you did, what was the experience like in Japan? Everything from the, the experience side was great. I mean, I love the food. I love the culture. I love going to the ballpark. The team treated me great, but I just played poorly. So it's hard to have a good taste in your mouth about an experience like that if like you just didn't play good and yeah that's how i think about it at this point okay that's fair we do this with every guest here on the chris rose rotation we're highly educational we spin the wheel of moderately interesting things yeah okay god i didn't even get a snicker out of you not for sure i would have gotten one this is a good one for you five ring circus we had the olympics uh this past summer what Olympic sport would you have kicked ass in? Skateboarding. Seriously? Yeah, skateboarding. I um, that would be my. I mean, I would have to to build up for it, but yeah, I think you know, as as a kid, I was I was decent on a skateboard and I'm with launch ramps and you know, like so that'd be my that'd be my jam, I think. So you were rolling around the valley, probably in the skate parks, maybe 
maybe even doing them in some places you shouldn't have been. Did you do the cool stuff? Like, did you pipe That's down right. the rails, the handrails and stuff places? You just, you just, you just nailed it. For those people who don't know, like the San Fernando Valley, there's lots of places to um, break into to skate. So the first place you start with is like the LAUSD um, middle schools, like Parkman, where it had Parkman Middle School had like this big ramp um cement but like you could you could ride it like a ramp um and then there's ditches and valleys and 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 valleys alleys in the valley different places to go get on a skateboard and and do tricks and things yeah i mean i could i could mess around on rails not like the not like really good skaters can but um a thir my 13 year old self was good at it mm -hmm. i heard joe madden could do that back in the day too did you know that I didn't. I, I would think that like now I'm picturing Joe on like long boards with big like long skateboards on bigger wheels with no um, no rails. Right. Like no nothing to slide on. Although, you know, like maybe the decks were strong enough to handle that at the time. By the way, great glasses guy in the dugout. Great, great, great glasses guy. I mean, he's the OG. He is. He's the glasses OG in the dugout. Gabe, this was fun, man. I appreciate you coming on, giving us a little time and, and perspective, not only on your 107 win season and, and Buster Posey, but a lot of the, the good work you're doing. And once again, the name uh, is Pipeline for Change, correct? Yes. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for spending some time on that. Um, you know, obviously the the most important thing that that um, I'm thinking about right now. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Listen, have a great offseason. Uh, we'll be keeping up to date on what the Giants are doing in the offseason. There's going to be some moving and shaking, and you guys will come back in 2022 as the defending National League West champions. It sounds pretty good. It's exciting, man. It's really exciting. The expectations will be raised, and um, that just makes the, the challenge even greater. I love it. Good catching up with you. Good seeing you, and hopefully I'll catch you in spring training in 2022. Same, Chris. Thanks, man. You got it. Uh, special shout out to our guy, Robbie Shiraco, who puts the show together. And to you for listening. For Dave Kapler, I am Chris Rose. We'll see you next time on the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media.